Hi everyone and welcome to this podcast following the recent webinar regarding continuous glucose monitoring or CGM as we'll call it from here on in. My name's Jan Olfin, I'll be your host again today and the podcast is actually as I said following on from the first of our webinars in the series on CGM and the recording of this webinar is available on the ADA learning management system and gives an excellent and practical overview of CGM its benefits and disadvantages, and some of the research and evidence for the use of this technology. I would like to introduce Carolyn Judge, who was the presenter of the webinar. Carolyn has been a registered nurse and clinical nurse consultant in diabetes at Children's Hospital at Westmead for over 19 years. She's also worked in private practice for the past 10 years as a credentialed diabetes educator and certified pump trainer. She has a special interest in all the aspects of management and technology involved in diabetes in both the paediatric and adult population. Carolyn believes it's about taking control of your diabetes, not letting it take control of you. Hello, Carolyn. How are you today? I'm very well. Thank you, Jan. And it's great to see you still involved in the podcast series. They can't get rid of me, that's the problem. So here I am again. <laughs> and I'm really enjoying it, I have to say. <laughs> Good. It's nice to hear your voice. Thank you. Um, so, Carolyn, today we'll be covering some of the questions that came up for you from the listeners during the actual live webinar. And there was, I guess, one of the first issues was there was a bit of interest regarding the placement of the sensor and insertion sites particularly if blood's noticed, and I wondered what your recommendation might be regarding this issue. Sure. So if blood is noticed, which does commonly happen in the placement of a sensor, it's not necessary to remove it. So a lot of people want to take it off straight away. What you need to do is you need to apply pressure for a maximum of three minutes to the area, and this stops or slows the bleeding and then after the bleeding stops you can then attach your transmitter and then if um, honestly once you start the process and it, and it survives the warm-up period then it really should be good to go and you might find up might find out that it ends up reducing uh, the wearability life of the sensor but it's not always the, that it doesn't always happen like that. Thanks for that, Carolyn. And the, I guess the other question related to the actual choice of site, do you actually have patients that, that don't use their abdomen? And if so, what are other areas are used and why? And do you have any tips for the choice of site if the abdomen isn't the best option? Sure, yes. I know a lot of patients, especially in um, the paediatric area, that don't use their abdomen. Um, the upper arm, uh, where people, um, like where they where people are wearing the Libre is a really um, good uh, spot to wear it, but it's more on show in this area. So I also recommend the upper thigh is, uh, is a great place to use or the love handle area for those that have them. And a lot of pediatrics tend to wear it on the upper outer quadrant of the, of the buttocks. So if you think of the buttocks and you, um, you divide each buttock cheek into half vertically and then into half horizontally, it's this upper outer quadrant just under or above the pant line 
that is the place that you want to put it. And um, I find that um, um, the most frustrating place to wear it is too close or too near to the belt line on the abdomen as it will always be in the way and it's really easy to knock off or, um, or lift. I think you probably partly answered my next question, but are there any, prob- mm. any other problems using these areas? And if so, how do you help person with diabetes or their carer, for instance, overcome these problems? Mm. Yeah. So um, I really, there is no problem with wearing the sensor in other areas than the abdomen. And, you know, we need to remember that, that these items are sold and worn as, you know, this, they're inserted subcutaneously. So there's many areas on the body that we have access to subcutaneous tissue besides the abdomen. So if a carer, for example, was going to um, place the sensor, then obviously the upper outer quadrant of the buttocks or the upper arm are, are more um, accessible to them rather than the patient having to sort of contort their body and use a mirror perhaps to, to place it, to self-place it there. So um, the, these upper outer, the upper outer quadrant of the buttocks and the upper arm are really better places for carers as such to be placing these items. That makes perfect sense to me. Thank you. Mm. The other intriguing discussion for the webinar listeners was regarding paracetamol and aspirin interfering with CGM readings. And I wonder if you could explain the research and mechanism behind this effect. And are there other things which might cause such an in- Yeah, so the CGM measured interference is to do with the interaction between the given drug and the glucose oxidase. And the glucose oxidase is the reactive agent in the sensor that's sitting in in the interstitial fluid. So one of the drugs that was mentioned was lisinopril, which is an ACE inhibitor, albuterol, which is a bronchodilator, acetaminophen, which is paracetamol, and atenolol, which is a beta blocker. So you may have noticed that when you're setting up the Dexcom system, there's a warning during this setup phase that makes the patient aware that the SG, the sensor glucose readings, are not reliable if paracetamol has been taken. And similarly, if you exceed the recommended daily dose, or intake of vitamin C and aspirin, then this too impacts the reliability of even the Libre. So um, the, I referenced the study that I, that I obtained this information from in my webinar um, in one of the slides I put in, but both Dexcom, Dexcom and G4 and the Medtronic soft sensor that were used in this particular pilot study that I was referring to have both been superseded by newer, improved products. So I guess my advice is that it's a space to watch and that the study, the reason that the study was undertaken was to provide guidance to clinicians on the appropriate use of these technologies in people with diabetes. It wasn't to denigrate one system over the other. Thanks for that, Caroline. I think you've probably partly answered this next question for me, but I'll ask it anyway. Is the interference seen as high results or is it variable results? And are all types and brands of sensors affected? And what's the advice when interference does actually occur then? 
So the interference is seen as high results with paracetamol and ethanol, meaning the red wine, but the other drugs tended to show mixed results. But I think the main take-home uh, point is that fin finger sticks only should be relied upon during the period of time that the drug is active in their system. That makes perfect sense. It's a shame about the red wine. I'm glad I'm not wearing one. <laughs> <laughs> Another interesting question we had at the end of the webinar yeah. was about edema and ascites. And I just wonder if you can explain how CGM and sensor readings may be affected in these cases, please. Yeah, so I'm not able to give a specific answer with regard to edema and ascites. But I do know in patients um, on dialysis that large fluid shifts um, during, the, during this time reduces the reliability of the CGM data. But we need to remember that the user is calibrating these systems two to three times a day. So the user is going to be able to find out for themselves if um, the edema or the ascites um, is actually affecting the CGM readings in these in the scenario. So um, neither of the systems have been um, clinically trialled in the area of um, a person that has edema or the person that has ascites. Thank you for that. And finally, I guess there was a question in regards to the type of devices the children's hospital used. And I wonder if you could explain why the hospital chooses to use Dexacom over Medtronic. And is, I mean, is it due to being able to dose from Dexacom or are there other things in, taken into consideration? Yes, I definitely think that Dexcom had the TGA approval um, for dosing insulin by and I'd have to say that this was the main reason for patients or parents um, choosing this device in the workplace. But also the fact that the, the parent could um, view the blood glucose, um, sorry, not the blood glucose, the sensor glucose trends when they were far away from the child in the school setting, etc., was another uh, bonus for the choice of the Dexcom G5. I think Medtronic would rightly argue that the accuracy is there with their N-Light sensor, but they never took it to TGA for official approval. I can understand parents making those sort of choices in that situation, mm. certainly. Thank mm. you so much mm. for your time today, Carolyn. I guess that's all the questions that I think have come through following uh, the webinar session. But I guess before we can conclude today, do you have three take-home messages perhaps for our listeners regarding CGM in general? Yes, I would say that the first important message is to teach the users to expect a difference between the blood glucose and the sensor glucose, which I discuss further in the webinar. The, the second thing is to remind them that both sensors and transmitters cannot be exposed to X-ray, MRI or CT scans. But people get confused and think that when they're walking through the metal detectors at airport that their system is going to react. And the metal detectors at airports are not X-ray machines and it's perfectly fine to wear your pump and or your CGM during, uh, you know, at this time. And then my third, my third take-home point or important point is that 
if your symptoms don't match your sensor glucose readings, then you must rely on finger pricks. And the same thing is, with, is that if you've been given paracetamol, you must rely on finger sticks, not the SG readings. Thank you for that. And, and Carolyn, thank you once again for your time today. It's been great to catch up with you. It's one of the good things about doing these podcasts, I guess. <laughs> thank um, you. And I'm, I'm sure that this podcast has, has hopefully inspired listeners to start thinking about working towards expanding their skills in this area. And you've definitely mm -hmm. given them some insights into the more intricate but I guess practical issues uh, around the use of CGM. I'd also like to thank members for taking the time to listen to this podcast. If you haven't already do, done so, please take time and head to the ADA Learning Management System to watch the recording of the webinar that Caroline presented. And there are two more webinars in this series and they can also be accessed from this website. You can also upload any further questions that you might like our speaker to address as well. So until next time, goodbye and thank you, Carolyn. Pleasure.